welcome to the Painted Red Quarterly Slush Pile. We are so happy to bring this show to you. And what we do in this show is read submissions from our slush pile after getting secondary permission, of course. And um, it's our way to clue you in into our editorial process. Um, today, we have a smaller group than normal. But interestingly, it's the Klingon Council. It's, Woo-hoo. yeah, Woo-hoo. yeah. But none so, of us speak Klingon. None of us speak Klingon. Marion's sister does, but that's a different a story. I have a dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> I can do the Vulcan uh, hand thing. Uh, that's about it. Um, I, t- I tried for years to get a change to double doctoring. The Klingon Council has stuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. What's funny about Klingon Council is that none of us are Trekkies. So I don't know why we use that one, but it, it is. It's what stuck. It is what stuck. So the we uh, right now here in the studio is me, Kathleen Volkmiller, um, and with me in the studio is Brittany. Hi, Brett. Hello, everyone. Hey, Brett. Hi, Brett. Just say I'm the co-op. Come on, I'll tell you exactly what to say. (laughs) Hey, everyone, I'm the co-op. You'll be seeing me or hearing me a lot more often around here. Yeah, yeah. And we we have our fabulous sound engineer, Joe Zhang. What's up, people? (laughs) Those sound engineers, they know how to give you sugar. I know. Wow. I, I, I took a Linklater voice technique class just so I would learn to talk like that. And I did not. I did not. <laughs> Stay tuned I, I still for after like the this. podcast for uh, Joe's ASMR poetry hour. Oh, my God. Oh, nice, Joe. It works. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jason, where are you? You're. I am in my office. Yes. I am back at the lovely Burr. Be- I can't say anything. The Bureau of Manhattan, the Borough of Manhattan <laughs> Community College, in my wonderful office. Um, and I have to, I have to tell something to to our loyal slushies. Um, the the yellow Parsons table is is no longer my desk. Um, <gasps> that when when I come in from work, I'm obviously at my beautiful prefabricated, I don't know, um, Staples ordered furniture <laughs> at home. Um, I now, I now work at my mother's writing desk. I actually have my mother's secretary desk with a little, like a oh, that's little heirloom um, that I like, but yeah, so the, the person's table is now a dining room table and I will no longer be coming to you from it. Right. So, but oh, thank you. Thank oh. you for the Parsons table love. I really, I really do appreciate yes, it. Yes. Yes. We had so many people stop at the AWP conference and talk to us about the yellow Parsons table. You do still need to take a pic though, babe, so we can use it. Well, oh, yeah, absolutely. So we can share yeah. it in real life. Um, well, I love that I've been both to your home and your office and Marion, I love that I've been to your home and your office. Where yes. are you right now? Yes. So I'm home and I'm in my guest bedroom. My I'm bedroom, you mean? Your bedroom, Kathleen. <laughs> I'm actually tucked under tucked under the blankets. Um, I'm surrounded by, count them, six suitcases. Is it I've cold? Got a mic- no, uh, it's just kind of late and it was a long day and I'm I'm hiding from Jonathan. Uh, so he can, he can live his life, uh, and make noise in the apartment. So uh, the agreement was that I would hide in the, in the guest bedroom tonight. Um, but I just sent Kathleen a picture because, um, sitting on the bed next to me is my insane cat. (laughs) And she, 
posed for a photograph next to the microphone. This so is I'm so here, perfect. Here, slushies. I give you my cat on the microphone. Slushies. So, this so, is going to be on social media today. Yes. Look at that. <laughs> and, you know, and she usually never shuts up. She's not talking into no. that mic, which is shocking. You'd think, she, you'd think she would be speaking into the microphone, but no, she's tired now. She's that was the strangest, afternoon. strangest thing about that cat. It just incredibly vocal. Yeah, You've never seen a cat that just talks, talks and talks. Yeah. So, okay. I always ask you for her name. Spell me her name later. Um, so... Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, I think we should go ahead and get on a roll. So it is just the three of us, but you know, we're strong. Four. And um, and Brit, <laughs> strong, and Brit, and Joe. Um, five. And so this five. is, uh, who's five? Oh, and the cat. And Emia, right? And the cat. Um, There's so, six. <laughs> um, this is actually a redo of a catastrophic podcast that we tried to do a few weeks ago. Everybody was calling in from remotely remote locations, including me, which is, you know, very unusual. Um, And it just was an epic fail. So uh, we're shaking it off and we're jumping in. The lost episode. The lost episode episode has been sent into the ether. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Uh, That's gone, but we're going to um, do this poet's work. She's been waiting patiently and I'm so excited that we've got uh, three poems today from Gwendolyn Ann Hill. And um, I guess I'm going to keep the mic. I'm going to keep the mic on this one and roll. Okay. Do it. All right. Do it. Do it. Uh, this is do Gwendolyn it. Ann Hill's Unplanting a Seed. In a phone conversation what? with my mother, we say goodbye first. And finally, after hours, hello. A ripe brandywine turns from burnt umber to pink to green. Flesh hardens, juices dry up. As the fruit lightens, stems lift their droop. My cousins and I collect my grandfather's ashes from his fields, gathering them in fistfuls we place tenderly into an urn. Petals fly from the ground. Pollen migrates upward from deep reproductive recesses, attaching to a bee's leg. The bee flies backward to a tomato plant in the neighbor's yard. Bee populations are on the rise. A surgeon places the ovary gently into my body, twists my fallopian tube into a tangle, watches it turn black and blue. My grandma gets all her memories back for one fleeting second, then forgets them one by one as wrinkles dissolve slowly from her face. Whirls close into diminishing buds. Rain floats skyward, gathering in droplets to the clouds. The brandywine plant contracts its leaves one by one, Maristem lowering into the soil. My grandfather collects pesticides into nozzles. His plows reverse the soil back into place. He tucks weeds between vegetables. Rivers run clean all the way back to the source. My mom is a teenager, pulling smoke from the air with her lips, returning to the town she will call home, its population growing 
then dwindling, to fade eventually into prairie. Roots recede, cells merge, walls breaking down between daughters. A casing hardens around the seed. My grandfather, now a boy, eyes shining beneath the shadow of his hands, plucks it out of the ground between thumb and forefinger and places it carefully into the seed packet, closing the hole he made in the earth as he moonwalks away. That was beautiful. Oh, it was like watching a movie. You're reading too, but I'm on like a poem. (laughs) (laughs) Forget Gwendolyn Hill, right? It was like watching a movie, being rewinded. Yeah, I almost like saw the earth at one time, and it was like rewinding back into an autumn. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, I listen, I'm with Brett. Like it, it so reminds me of um that Charlie was it the I guess it was like back at the in the early two thousands, the film adaptation. Um yes. I think it's like based on the Orchid Thief. Nick Cage plays Charlie Kaufman. And the opening the opening moment he says, like, how did I get here? Right. And uh and then the, and the whole film sort of like winds back <laughs> to like the dawn of time and, mm-hmm. and then like to his birth and delivery. Right. Um, and the, the film is sort of making a joke of it. What this poem is doing is so like sentimental and in a sort of affirming way, just this rewind on um, this, you know, this moment of planting a seed and then the whole life and lives that grow out of it. It's sort of a lovely spiraling gyre. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that final image as he moon walks away and, and then she sets us up like right from the beginning, we kind of, you know, we get that we're going to go backwards. Right. But but Mm -hmm. using the most obvious one with the goodbye first and after hours. Hello. Yeah. Like it's one thing to talk about the past, but it's another thing to actually show the reader the past. Mm-hmm. For example, like, as Kathleen just said, when they're talking about moonwalking away, usually when you watch a video in Rewind, instead of looking like steps, it looks more like they're sliding across the floor. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought yeah, that was this a is, it's in copper. I mean, this is a this is a um, technique that's been used before that I think Matt um, Rasmussen's really famous poem, Reverse Suicide, mm-hmm. right, where he describes mm-hmm. um, his father's suicide in reverse. Um, you know, the, the most beautiful line being, you know, uh, you spit it into dad's gun, right? That like he, that the, right. the suicide happens wow. in reverse. And I think it, I mean, the first one I'm aware of is Dan Pagas's um, draft of a reparations agreement where he kind of describes the Holocaust in reverse. Um, and I was kind of working at like, cause I, I actually really loved, it, it took me a while to realize that what was happening. Um, mm-hmm. That in the phone conversation with my mother, we say goodbye first and finally after hours, hello. I thought that was mm-hmm. like a cool way to have a conversation with your mom. I was like, oh, yep. that's a really good technique if you get on the phone and like you're like, bye, but then you work your way backward mm-hmm. um, to hello. And so I was kind of working on, I mean, there's so much that happens. And, and the other ones that I'm familiar with that kind of use this technique, um, there's kind of a central trauma, like a suicide or the Holocaust that kind of has mm-hmm. to... Um, be undone and reversed. And in this one, I was, I, it's so um, personal. And so sort of, it's not, um, it's not kind of the removal of a trauma, 
it's it's kind of the sort of like slow working back through all of these different crises. Mm-hmm. Um, I love my mom as a teenager pulling smoke from the air with her lips. Mm-hmm. But I, I was wondering, like, what, like, what's the impulse, right? Like to undo that entire life. Um, why? Like, what's the what's the impulse to just undo this entire life? It's so intriguing. Yeah, that's well, you know, it's so funny. Like I for me, it's got so much to do with like fertility um, and then the interconnectedness of all of the generations. Right. So it's like it's it's hard to miss that. Right. That it's, mm-hmm. you know, father, gr- like grandfather, mother, sisters, cousins. It's like this whole tangle. And I use that word on purpose because it, to me, it feels like the trauma might be in the population stanza uh-huh. a surgeon places the ovary gently back gently into right. my body twists my fallopian tube into a tangle watches yep. it turn black and blue like what is that right that it, it but it feels like the, the the moment where her capacity for regeneration is that's where the trauma sits you know well, she's having, she, I mean, she's having her ovaries removed, right? I mean, the story is that right? her fallopian tubes were twisted and the surgeon made her sterile, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. like in a certain way, like this sort of, like what, what centers at that for me is, is absolutely about this question of sterility and fertility. Mm-hmm. And then, and then right after that, my grandmother, like the grandmother leaves the senile dementia and my grandmother gets all her memories right. back. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Right. It's wild. The juxtaposition, yeah. Yeah. which, and the juxtaposition of that is what makes it feel so damn cinematic to go back mm-hmm. to Britt's point. Yeah. Right. Like the rewind is, is also in the juxtaposition of the, like the shot sequence, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it, it, it stays sort of random and yet interconnected. Like it feels like family, family movies in rewind. Right. Um can I can I Which, just say this out loud yeah. since we got into the technical thing of it, the mm-hmm. the fallopian tube paragraph, I mean stanza. Mm-hmm. Um, since we have two ovaries, isn't it possible that only one that our fallopian tubes were twisted, which is a real thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know why the ovary has to also be removed. Mm-hmm. And it does mm-hmm. seem that one must have been but she does still have another. So I was actually Mm -hmm. thinking the opposite of what Jason said. This is why I bring this up. Jason said rendering her sterile. I think she might've been rendered Mm -hmm. fertile because her her fallopian tubes got untangled. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. So she could still- The surgeon is placing the ovary back in her body. Yeah, but you have two, babe. We have two ovaries? (laughs) You do. You do. Oh my god! But but can I also say? And of course, there's also the possibility of retrieving the eggs. Yeah. You know, for for an in vitro. So I I felt um, as Marion mentioned the fertility and the growth and all that stuff that maybe I mean who knows if there was actually. A child or any if any of this is real fact or whatever but i mm-hmm. read this as making her fertile not making uh, her sterile 
Mm-hmm. Which okay. which would be a very yeah. yeah. So right. I I think that's what for me is the strength of the poem is actually in that ambiguity mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. frankly ambivalence, like meaning. And I was trying to talk about this in a, a prior podcast, like you know, like amb- ambiguity allows people the different reading, you know, the potential for these different readings. But for me, I'm really drawn to poems that also have ambivalence at the root of that ambiguity. Yeah. Right. It's not that you can just read multiple things, but that you actually can read that as either like the promise of fertility or, or, or the lack. Right. Yeah. But I think like placing one back in and then also watches it turn black and blue sounds like the surgeon went in to fix something. Right. Especially yeah. yes. if we're watching this in reverse. Definitely. And yet it feels like a wound. Right. Like, so mm-hmm. I love, again, ambiguity plus ambivalence in the poem is what's coming through mm-hmm. um, in the rewind, right? In yeah. the rewind, which is just a, extraordinary. Yeah. I, and it's, I, I guess it's about, it's about planting the, the brandywine plant, right? It's about, plant, mm-hmm. like, like it goes back to the moment where the grandfather plants the seed that becomes the plant that, produces the berries that are made into the wine, right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so it, it's, it's interesting. And also like uh, an ambiguity, right? I mean, so like uh, I talk about this with students that ambiguity is when there are multiple possibilities that will not resolve. It is not confusion. Yeah. Like, like beginning writers right. think ambiguity is like, whatever you want to put there, uh, whatever you saw. <laughs> there. Like, no. No, no. Um, ambiguity is when there are a number of distinct <laughs> possibilities that all remain present mm-hmm. and will not resolve. Um, and that's mm-hmm. its power. And, that, and that's kind of what I feel here is that um, mm-hmm. there are all these ways in which, you know, you kind of want to read it, but it's all sort of pulling back towards this seed. And it's really, it's, it's really mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous. You know, I'm going to go back to where I embarrassed myself and thanked Britt for saying it was beautiful. Uh, (laughs) But it's really, I mean, these images are just so, I loved reading this. I guess that's what I'm going to say. To just say these words and paint these images aloud was just such a wonderful experience. You know, uh, so. I would love to know her technique of writing this poem? Like, did she write it in a forward and order first and then rewrite it? <laughs> because it was so well done. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, I think you should feel free to ask her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also feel that we should vote because we do have okay. two more from this poet. So let's yeah. do it to it. And Marion, you're going to Facebook message me and Britt and I are in the room. I am indeed. And here we go. Joe, we actually do need you to vote, babe, because guess what? We're four people. Oh, wow. All right. All right. Here we go. One, two, three, vote. And it's unanimous. Woo! Yeah. Woo! 
Uh, I've got to, I'm sorry. I'm going to, I have to tell Marion and Jason this story as fast as I can. We had a slam on Thursday. We're sitting there. We're still having an editorial meeting. Dude comes to the door. And as those of you who might know Philadelphians and anybody else who wants to come visit, come visit. I have two empty bedrooms, but um, (laughs) come on a Thursday and go to the slam. So uh, people have to be like standing in a vestibule and seen by a surveillance camera. And this person comes in and I noticed because he had a, a hoodie on wrapped real tight around his face. You know that look where you're like, it's a little creepy and a giant mm-hmm. backpack, right? He comes in, I hear him saying words with Danny or whatever. And then he comes up to us and he goes, hey, I just got back from Philly from the New Orleans Poetry Festival. Mm-hmm. And I saw an Instagram post about this event and I thought it'd just come right over. He was literally like off yes. the bus or train, yeah. right? But then here's where it gets even more fascinating. We tell him, well, we're in the middle of an editorial meeting and, you know, we're going to start about 45 minutes to an hour, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, okay. And he sits at the edge of the table closest <laughs> to our editorial meeting. <laughs> I kind of had a fear wow. that he was one of the people we were reading and he was like trying to. And he fully leans in. I'm talking <laughs> elbows on knees. Leaves nice. it. <laughs> Did he join? Did he join? Are, is he a new staff member? Or are you telling us? Well, well, I am telling you that in true PBQ democracy, I absolutely adored it that the interns and Brit were like, "Get over to the table, dude. Why are you over there?" Because he was chiming in. He we might. I mean, he yeah, was yeah, yeah. sitting at the opposite table okay. and already began talking about the poems. As we we're talking about the poems, we were like, mm-hmm. "Well, you might as well just sit over here." So he he uh, he he joined us, <laughs> and he actually did a really good job. Yeah, he did. He has some intelligent responses. Him. Absolutely, absolutely. It's so funny, right? Wonder. So it's so it was so PBQ to me, you know. Mm-hmm. So Philly, so PBQ. It was it was a great moment. So sorry, Gwendolyn and Hill. I know that you're sitting there waiting for the next poem. As as, but I hope you enjoyed the story anyway. Can, can I tell a story about my misunderstanding of the human body? <laughs> you thought we yes. only had one ovary? <laughs> yeah, well, not about ovaries, about kidneys. So we were watching, I think it was like Grey's Anatomy. It might have been ER, but I think it was Grey's Anatomy. And they were doing like a kidney transplant. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, why is that kidney so big? And Michael was like, my husband, Michael was like, that's how big kidneys are. And I was like, no, they're not. And he was like, did you think that they're the size of a kidney bean? <laughs> I was like, well, is is that why they're called kidney beans? Because they're the same size and shape? And he was like, no, no, they're only the same shape. And I, I, I have been living with the horrified fact, like your kidneys are so big. They're not beans though. They're not. It really bothers me. Yeah. Well, when I gave birth and the, uh, the placenta comes out after the baby, I thought there was Uh a second freaking baby coming out of me. Oh my God. A boneless one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And the doctor like was, it was a hand over hand move. Like that's, that's, you know what I mean? Like, True. This is true. Okay. Oh yeah. my God. So, okay. Oh gosh, Gwendolyn Inhill. I have I'm two so placenta sorry. stories, but I'm not going to tell them now. <laughs> two? We have, have two, two placentas? Two. Oh, 
<laughs> but they're not for now. They're for they're for a placenta episode we'll do later. I have an anatomy question. If you if you have twins, do they is it one big placenta or two? Uh-huh. I think Ooh. that could I think that that definitely varies depending on whether they're the identical or the fraternal, because sometimes they're in their own sacks and sometimes they're in one sack. Right. So if they're in their own sack. Yes, you would actually have two placentas, I think. Slushies, feel free to correct me. I, I'm I, I Googling I right now. <laughs> and according to the University of California, San Francisco uh, Medical Center. Fake news. Um, 70% of identical <laughs> twins end up with a single placenta, but, um, fraternal mean? twins have their own placentas. There you go. Then I was right. Yeah. 1% of identical twins share a single placenta and a single sack. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. I cannot confirm Is that, that but fun fact, I'm... my grandma had five sets of twins and no one in my generation was a twin. Oh my God. So Whoa. apparently it skips a generation. Right. So your generation is gonna who has the twin. Exactly. Right. I'm terrified. <laughs> right. If That's how it works pregnant. in my family. My family is spot on with every other generation oh having twins. God. Right. I have twin okay, uncles and my brother. Back up a minute, break. Back up a minute break. Do those numbers your single grandmother yes. had five sets of twins? Is that yes. what you said? Yes. When you say Were there any single twins? <laughs> what do you mean your That's single amazing. grandmother? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? No. Like, I thought, okay, maybe all of her grandmothers had twins. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Two grandmothers. One both grandma had yeah, like ten one babies yes. via five pregnancies. Had, yes, I mean she had more. Five, that's <laughs> single. That's a how lot she, of babies. How many babies did she babies. have altogether? Honestly, I have no idea, but there were a lot. Really? Yes. Wow. Go. Go Brit's grandma. Another That's fun amazing. fact, my granddad was like 65 when he met my grandma, who was 22. Yeah. And this is the man that impregnated her all those times? Yes. Oh, my Lord. Wow. We're going to have to and call this episode the OBGYN episode. Wait, he was 65 when he started? Yes. Uh, he <laughs> moved to Jamaica and met my grandma, who was in her 20s. Wow. Yes. Did, uh, wow. Yeah. So he must so have at their so high up. school graduations, he was like a hundred? Yeah. Like <laughs> he died at like seventy-five. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. So oh my in, God. Ten, in ten years. So she, she had, had ten. Numbers. My numbers are probably off, but yeah, he was an old man when he met my grandma, who was wow. a young lady. Yeah. Wow. Dang, that's amazing. That do you think do you amazing. think she was like I can fly to this plane or do you think she was like okay, he knows what he's doing? What uh, <laughs> aspect? Wait, where are we going? What? What does that even That's fantastic and confusing. If you know how old is your grandmother now? Oh, she died a long time ago. Um, I don't remember. Generally, what would she be? What would yeah. she be? Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> I don't know the answers to these That's questions. Okay. <laughs> she died before I was born. She died before you See were born. See what happens, yeah. right? You, you speak up in a podcast and suddenly we're all like, tell us about your grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> Write a poem about her. I will. You know what? Good mm-hmm. idea. Maybe a whole yeah. story. Yeah. Actually, Britt is yeah. a fiction writer. I should make that clear. Yes. But, you know, she could still dabble in poetry. In fact, she has to. She's in my creative writing class That's right, right here. now. <laughs> We're starting to move into poetry. Um, okay. But speaking of poetry, Marion, why don't you do this one since you sound so unrapturable today? 
Oh, okay. I love the confidence in my technology. All right, Gwendolyn Ann Hill, hold on to your hat. I'm about to read your poem. This wood is a true ebony, but it needs a century to grow. Split by the bottomland creek in mid-October, a persimmon lay on a bed of netted leaves, waxy skin hiding the dazzled jack-o'-lantern fruit. I extract an ant invader, lick my lips. A little rot sweetens it for sucking, like jelly grandma boiled all summer, the sun with sugar and pectin, a drop or two of rose water. Fallen from a thicket with bark deeply rifted and cracked, charred campfire logs blow on them. When the lights go out, these trees glow from within. Well done. Read. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. And I love Britt, by the way, whether you anticipated that or not, that you're, we were talking about your grandmother and then a grandmother showed up, appears here, yes. <laughs> right? She showed up, you called her up. Is, is there like a false <laughs> ebony? I don't, I don't, I'm sort of intrigued by the idea of the true ebony. True ebony, right? Is there like, is there something mm-hmm. that's like a false ebony or fool's ebony? Yeah, like people pass off something else as ebony when it's not. But this is like, right. you know, yeah, that could be true. Hmm. Um, that I mean that is a complicated first line. I mean, or title, excuse me, or title. Uh, I'll I'll just keep on talking. I know that when I looked at these, I did, I did, you know, er, you know, sort of at that title. Um, but then reading the poem there's so much i i love i love the image of the parsimon the my my grandmother too boiled jelly all summer though of grapes not of uh persimmons but um i i this is another one the images are so um lovely and clear to me and evocative really evocative well, I, I love the way everything keeps glowing from within. The way yeah. that there's this kind of, you know, um, that's not called effervescence. What is that called when it when something is luminescence? Luminescence, yeah. yeah, yeah. The luminescent throughout the poem is just fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. And I really, I mean, I I'm not a huge fan of deep image, and I kept sort of thinking of that um, Robert Bly title. Um, this tree will be here for a thousand years. And I never even read that book. I had it on my desk for like three oh. years. Just looked at it being angry, being like, you don't know that's true. Um, <laughs> and the, but then this title is true, right? The, this wood is a true ebony, but it needs a century to grow. Like I was just sort of so drawn into that and the way that um, there are all of these images of, dis, of decay and luminescence. Things kind of coming in together, that jelly with the, the sugar and the pectin, the... Um, the rot mm-hmm. is necessary for life. Uh, that line, a little rot sweetens it for sucking mm-hmm. is so gross. And, yes. I, but I get it. Like I absolutely yeah. get like when fruit, the riper it gets, the sweeter it gets. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm picking the ant out to eat it. I'm extracting ant mm-hmm. invader, lick my lips. Like that just makes the speaker more excited to eat. <laughs> This fruit. I'm just thinking of bananas. Apparently, you're not supposed to eat them unless they're freckled. 
Oh, I prefer really? the Riper. Yes. I'm always grossed out when people eat any with any green on it at all. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, I love the uh, most nutrients are in it. You, when it's by the time they're freckled, they're very starchy. But if you eat them like when they're when they're still like a little bit green, um, mm. I think the opposite. <laughs> I think the sweeter they get, the softer they get, less mm-hmm. starchy. No, I like I like them. It's like when, old ladies. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Um, I'm going to intervene. All right. So I was, I stepped out of this conversation for a moment and went, I went a little deep Google and you know, there's, when somebody said, why call it true? Ebony? Jason, when you were saying why yeah. true ebony, uh-huh. what's that got to do with anything? What about false ebony? Um, and I, I would have to do more, more work on this, but um, apparently there's some reference to witchcraft in Bermuda that has to do with the false ebony tree. Oh. Right. Um, and it's coming up in a couple of titles. Um, but it's, it's sort of like, um, tied to witchcraft. Uh, but that's all I can, all I can get. Right. Okay. Now with that in mind, wow, now, now we're talking with grandma, right. Sort of making that, that sugar boiling it all summer, stirring that pot. Right. Um, and the sort of near incantation quality mm-hmm. of the poem. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, whether or not that's absolutely intentional, it's a it's a weird um, and, and wonderful layer that gets called up if you start questioning ebony. You know, true ebony, false ebony. Yeah. yeah. Hey, hon, I think you really yeah. clicked into something. Jack-o'-lantern fruit. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And and mm. um, and the glowing from within it is also the jack-o'-lantern pumpkin, right? Yeah, right. And it's funny, it's, and you're right, it's jack-o'-lantern fruit, not jackfruit, which is a common fruit, right. but jack-o'-lantern, right? right? Gives you this pumpkin, gives you, it sort of like invites this sort of like witchy quality. Right. Um, a, a and then I extract an ant gross. invader. Like it's a very strange image of somebody eating an ant, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Unless I'm yeah. misunderstanding that, right? What were you saying, Joe? Saying, I think they're referring to the persimmon itself because it is sort of a color of fire. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. I don't think persimmons have a wonderful literary quality to them because I don't think anybody actually likes- Oh, yeah, you're right. No one actually likes eating them. (laughs) I don't think I've ever tasted one. I don't, it tastes I, like deodorant. It's got that <laughs> quality. It like takes all the liquid out of your mouth. Like it just zaps it. It's a nasty. You know place. what? You I guys think. don't, uh, Tim, mm-hmm. Tim Fitz said that he would eat these by the crate. He did say that. Yeah. He Maybe did I just say haven't that. had a good one. Cause I'll I was like a very famously young lead home about <laughs> I think they taste like deodorant, but that would just be my um, description, but you're right, Joe, right. The sort of persimmon is the jack-o'-lantern fruit. It's more of like a descriptive, right. Um, for the persimmon for sure. Yeah. I'm, uh, trying my hardest here being the, uh, engineer that never participates in the poetry discussion. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing great. No, never. You do sometimes. And it's always much appreciated. Oh, this time I'm actually trying to be academic. (laughs) Aww. Although he's keeping that sexy on the sound engineer voice. Uh, let me talk like this. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Will you always talk like that, please? Sure thing, man. I'll, I'll feel better about my own voice. Yeah. Um, sure thing, Jason. 
<laughs> you should switch back and forth. So it seems like we have more people here. I don't, I don't know okay. that, who was right. that. Get right. out of the studio. Completely degenerates. I think I think Joe has really put his finger on something too. It's like the poem really is a study of the consumption of, of that persimmon, right? Mm-hmm. I extract an anivator from the persimmon. I lick my lips, right? It's a, a little rot in the persimmon sweetens that, you know, otherwise dry fruit for sucking so that it tastes like jelly grandma boiled all summer, right? So fallen the persimmon from a thicket with bark, with bark deeply rifted and cracked charred campfire logs, right? And then, right. And then blow on them when the lights go out, these trees glow from within it shifts from the persimmon into the campfire logs. Right. So I think that's a, a super helpful point, right? I so love that you, last line. And your many, many voices. And it has a through line to the last poem we read too, about the sort of cycle and continuation of time and regrowth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I love that last image. When the lights go out, these trees glow from within. That's just gorgeous. What a, just, I don't know, it resonates like, and by that, I mean like it rings in the air for a second somehow. Yeah. Yeah, and and it it has there. There's a kind of mysteriousness to the poem, but that's still so grounded that like the images are incredibly clear, even though they sort of suggest a narrative that's kind of open ended. Mm-hmm. Should we vote? Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Here we are. <laughs> One, two, three. Oh wait, Marion's. Writing in. Sorry, sorry. It's okay, girl. Slowly, sorry. I can, I can, I'm psychically pick, I'm psychically predicting what your answer is going to (laughs) be. Since you and I are connected. Oh, and it's a yes. So it's yes all around. A unanimous yes. And yet, and another no dramatic tension. We need, we need a sound effect for like rejoicing. We need like a little like. I want to. I want to hear the slide whistle. <laughs> Why don't? <laughs> I'm a fan of the champagne. Oh, I like the champagne. True. Um, do we have something like uh, I don't know, revels or something like uh, fireworks? Fireworks. I love yeah. fireworks. I love fireworks so much. Like the real ones. Not what if we have like an avalanche because we're the slush pile? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Did you guys hear Joe's laugh? Did the mic pick that up? That was great. Okay. All right. So should All we get right. to the last? We have one more poem, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's you. It's Let's all you. It. Schneiderman. <laughs> Oh, it's me? Um, okay. Sure. Schneiderman, Fritz, Schneiderman, you Schneiderman. Okay. Um, we as seeds. Right now, we are enduring a period of cold stratification, as we must. Let the sun droop low. Let the snow melt, crust, pile up and melt again, tumbling over the husks of our bodies. Let the temperature drop. Let the starlings flock to peck at the detritus that engulfs us burying us over and over again. Only this long freeze can soften our shells. Only this dark washing and rinsing of our skin can bring us to bloom. Lovely. 
thinking, thinking. It's the sound of thinking. Thinking. It is a thinking. I love how this becomes this like prayer almost, right? Because it sounds, it sounds at first so sort of, you know, um, declarative and um, factual, uh, but then it becomes this, you know, um, repeated prayer. Let this happen. Let this happen. Let this happen. Let this happen. Mm-hmm. It's a very, it's, it's interesting. Interesting. We as seeds, I love just the concept itself right there to think about what it's like to be a seed. To well, all the, the poems seed. are so concerned with nature, with growth, with kind of like mm-hmm. the human relationship, the kind of um, ecological codependence and ecosystem that we're inside of. I, I, and the necessities of that darkness, the necessities yeah. of that suffering or that yeah. cold, right? It's, it's, it's in that. And at first I, I was like walking a little bit at the length of that first line, but Jason, I loved your intonation and your reading, right? Right now we're enduring a period of cold stratification as we must, right? And that that like drills right down to the bottom. It's only this long freeze that can soften our shells, only this dark, right? Mm-hmm. The washing and the rinsing of our skin can bring us to bloom. It's great. Us to bloom. Yum. Mm-hmm. Yum, we yum. as seeds. It's like the wild iris, right? Speaking from the voice of the plants, from the flowers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so funny um, how these three poems are in t- unintentionally, perhaps, um, in conversation with Teresa Leo's bloom in reverse, right? That magical book of hers, right? Um, it's, it's, it's hard not to feel some of the, those resonances or rather the pleasures of, of reading Gwendolyn's poems are, are also invoking, um, Teresa's work as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, with this one, it's, it's a really different strategy though, because with the other ones, there was a very human relationship. Uh, it was, it was very much about kind of like people observing and interacting with the landscape. And in this one, um, the speaker is the, the plant, right? The speaker is, is experiencing winter mm-hmm. and waiting mm-hmm. for the chance to return as a flower. That there's that there's a kind of identification. There's, I mean, the lines of identification in all of these poems are really interesting, and in this one, it sort of actually kind of becomes the identification is so strong with nature that it's it it's speaking from the voice of the seed. Mm-hmm. Right, and I think that's what makes it so interesting that it becomes this kind of like incantation or this sort of like you know, let this happen, let this happen, let this happen. The sort of wishfulness on the part of the seed. <laughs> right. Get, Knowing yeah, that these things yeah. To get to the bloom. Right. Right. I love yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Exactly. Idea. I, I mean, I initially had a hard time reading the poem because I was trying to read it as a metaphor for people. I was trying to read it as like, oh, okay. So this is about, it's like, it's the, and I was like, oh no. Like if you just read it as the voice <laughs> of the seed, it's yeah. like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Like I, yep. I sort of wanted it to work on some symbolic level. And once I just kind of let it be quite literally the voice of the seed, I was like, oh, uh, perfect. I yeah. agree. I agree. Yeah, I never realized this before, but cold stratification, the phrase is about the period where seeds 
lay in the ground. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So what I'm liking about this, it's like, just read the poem. It's like, just. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just read it. Yeah. Right. Like, don't don't work so hard. Just go ahead. Right. Right. (laughs) This is is not a metaphor for anything else. You know, um, how, how, um, I always yell at Tim, but yet I do it where I talk about the other poems. What I love about this suite, this set of three that we're looking at is, um, how different they are from one another. They are giving us entirely different messages or images or whatever, but you know, they're all, they're all really lovely and very different from one another, even as they are the same, (laughs) you know, even as they are calling up nature and seeds and all these things. I love when we see a breath of work like this, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they're, they're interrelated, but they're not doing the same work. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. That's exactly they, they what act I mean. as kind of a triptych, but they don't um, reproduce. They don't kind of stay in the same place. They like really move around um, perspectives and um, concerns. That's great. Yeah. Well said. Well said said because i think there's nowhere to go but but uh flipping thumbs i think it's time to throw no. thumbs do it this is time for a new it. segment uh flipping thumbs <laughs> flipping thumbs <laughs> flipping thumbs <laughs> okay are we ready yep. one two three flip flip <laughs> <laughs> Flipping thumbs. <laughs> <laughs> so many possible titles for this episode. Gwendolyn Ann Hill, I, I am thrilled that you've allowed us to discuss these on the show and thrilled that you sent to us in the first place and all of those things. So happy that we will have these these three. Thank you. Um slushies, please uh Tell us how we're doing, what you think of, of, of us and our shenanigans and Gwendolyn Hill and her wonderful poetry and all those things. Does anybody have anything they want to say? Klingons? Brit and Joe, anything? We should invite Gordon to a podcast. <laughs> oh, Gordon really is the guy go- from the um, <laughs> or reading that night on Thursday. Well, let's slow our roll a little bit about Gordon, but yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, 